Hey, everyone. Welcome to another L.A. Online Film Critics Society show. We've got a psychotic ma. We've got our favorite lizard. And we've got Rocket Man. Plus favorite biopics and favorite monster movies. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hi, everybody. I'm Kit Bowen, the host of this episode of the L.A. Online Film Critics Society, the L.A.O.F.C.S. show. (laughs) It's hard to say. Um, We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about uh, the movies coming out this weekend. Plus, we're going to talk about some of our favorite biopics and favorite monster movies. But first, I'd like to introduce my lovely panel here, my fellow critics, uh, starting with you, Chris. Tell us who you are and where we can find you. Awesome. Well, I'm Chris James. I write over at Award Circuit, and you can follow me on Twitter at CWJ92MovieMan. <laughs> I love Twitter handles. <laughs> and Alexander? Hey, guys. I'm back. Uh, Alexander <laughs> Robinson. You can find me on YouTube, The Real Mr. Robinson. And my Twitter handles, Real Mr. Underscore Robinson. <laughs> and I'm at the Movie Kit, actually, so I'm pretty easy. At the Movie Kit, all one word. Um, well, thanks, guys, for joining us today. Glad um, to be here. It's a good week of movies. Well, it's oh, kind yeah. of a mixed week, I think, of movies. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to say. We'll, we'll get to that reason a little later. We'll get later. that to the reason a little while. <laughs> but uh, let's let's talk briefly about uh, the two movies that were, weren't picked as our movie pick of the week. Um, let's start with Ma. Mm-hmm. which is a uh, thriller, I guess. I wouldn't call it necessarily a horror film, um, but it kind of was. A uh, thriller starring Octavia Spencer. Uh, she plays a woman who ends up uh, uh, opening up her basement to some high school kids so they can party. Um, but a lot of other things go go wrong <laughs> in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with you, Chris. What did you think of Ma? So I love myself a good campy thriller. Um, This felt in some weird way like Tate Taylor doing his own like 60s horror movie uh, film. It felt... I really enjoyed Octavia Spencer going full force, full ham on this. I had an amazing time. Um, And I think it's an absolute blast if you know what you're getting into. Yeah. How about you, Alexander? I hated this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm... I, I just saw it yesterday, so um, it's still kind of fresh in my mind, but I was disappointed in it because Blumhouse has really started to become more than just that cheap like horror studio because with Get Out and Halloween, they've proven themselves that they can really do great stuff. And with Ma having an Academy Award winner as your lead... I was let down because I just thought it was ridiculous. I thought the teenagers acted in very dumb ways. A lot of the dialogue was... And uh, there there were points I just had an issue with with what they did with Octavia Spencer's character. There's stuff that happens in the movie that I don't want to spoil in the trailer, but... It just made the movie almost unforgivable for me. So yeah, I mean, I was sort of mixed because you know we 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 actually a whole bunch of us got to see it together. All a lot of our uh, LA online film film people and we um we all kind of took up this whole row. And I would say about half of us walked out of there going, God, I hated that. That was just awful. 
awful. Oh, my gosh. The worst movie ever. And then some other people were like, I kind of liked it. I really had a good time with it. It was like a fun ride. So I'm kind of in between. Mm. Um, there were moments to this I thought were a lot of fun. And I think Octavia Spencer does. Actually, I, I really like what she did with it. And I, it's good for her, I think, um, in, her, in a career where she's always played, you know, the smart, wise you know, black lady or whatever it is. She kind of really branches out in this. Um, and I, I really thought she did a great job. There, some of those looks she gives were just unbelievable. However, the story did get a little stupid. And, and I think... My my main problem was, and I, we, we won't give this away either, but our, my main problem was her motive for doing what she was doing. That's the thing that kind of ruined the whole movie for me. Again, it, they don't say in the trailers, because there's a lot that this movie has that right. they don't they hide in the trailers, so I won't go into it here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah that was that was kind of my, my take on it. So it's interesting, we were all sort of, you were, <laughs> you were liking it a little bit more, and, and yeah, you didn't like it at all. But <laughs> No, I will agree, the dialogue is written with the bluntest of tone. Is <laughs> um, I mean, it, it fully, I don't think it is going for the same type of Blumhouse uh, style of horror in I actually saw this a lot as, like, his follow-up to Girl on the Train, just a movie that seems careening every which way out of control, but anchored by this really gonzo, fantastic performance. Yeah, yeah. And what else did he direct Tate? There's something else that was... uh, The Help. The Help! And you see just, like, this weird stable of people from, like, his uh, past movies, like Luke Evans from... the girl on the train, you see Allison Janney in like a Lisa Kudrow-esque wig popping up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it's a very mixed crowd for this one, so, you know, uh, I guess take it with a grain of salt, what, what, you, what, what you'll take up away from it when you go see it. Uh, next we have Godzilla, King of the Monsters, uh, which is, you know, going to probably be the big blockbuster winner this weekend. Everyone's predicting it, too. I'll start with you, Alexander, first. What did you think of that? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so, as... Uh, th- that's not actually... Th- I don't say, oh, boy, in a negative light, uh, an entirely negative light, because... I say oh boy because I'm I've been a Godzilla fan hardcore since I was seven years old. And if you go to my YouTube channel, The Real Mr. Robinson, I've just been putting out Godzilla mini videos every day of the month. Uh, and it's almost I'm almost burnt out. But I will say, um, I like the movie. I am one of the few people that actually really loved what Gareth Edwards did with the 2014 reboot because as somebody who's seen all the other movies beforehand at least 10 times a piece. I like his different approach to, like, reserving Godzilla a lot. I love his angle of, like, showing it from the perspective of the human characters, taking its time. It had issues, sure, and some of the teasing got a little... Uh, but I enjoyed it. This one, it's definitely more about the monster action, and I think Michael Doherty, you could tell he loves the franchise. Like, there, if, yeah. if you are a fan of Godzilla out there, or even giant monster movies in general, there are a lot of Easter eggs to not just the legacy of Godzilla, but even some shots that are pulled straight from other monster movies that have nothing to do with Godzilla. My issue with the movie is that... Um, Wow, can he not film the monster fight scenes that well? Because mm. you want to see these monsters fight in all their glory in these right. wide shots. And uh, he films it way too close. It was like watching, for me, I said this in my review, but it was like watching the final act of Venom where the camera's just yeah. up close. You can't really tell what's going on. Now, granted, you could tell Godzilla, Rodan, Mothra, and Ghidorah apart, but even then, it's like. 
I wish the action was filmed a little better because I think Gareth Edwards did a better job with that. Like the monster fight scenes in that movie are at a wide angle. Yeah. Even Kong Skull Island mm-hmm. did a phenomenal job. In terms of the three movies we have in the MonsterVerse, Kong Skull Island is the best when it comes to the action. Me too. Me too, mm-hmm. I think so. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you on that. I think they did such a good job with the monster design. And I think that there are just like certain really great shots um, that show kind of like the majesty of these Titans duking it out. But then you actually get to shooting the action and it just feels like a bunch of CGI smeared onto a screen. Um, And I think this is what was missing a little bit because it is so impacted with action that those scenes really need to come alive. It's saddled with dialogue that is as club-footed as Ma, but has less fun than Ma. Mm -hmm. I agree. I I can see that. Uh, um, Yeah, there there are definitely parts of humor in that movie that I don't think worked too well. It reminded me of a, this is a weird comparison, but a less goofy version of how I thought the humor was in The Last Jedi, where it's not really hitting all that well, but... um, (laughs) I, I still think um, Doherty has enough respect and love for the franchise as a whole that um, it, it's be- It's better than most people are giving it credit for. It's definitely not one of the best uh, Godzilla movies ever. It's not even close, but uh, I had fun. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I was like this. I just, you know, I mean, I'm not a hardcore fan, so I feel like this movie is for the hardcore fans, because you get all the great reveals, right? I think that was probably the best part of the movie, is the reveals. You know, it's like when Rodan going, you know, and then Mother and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, yay, and then they fight, and you're like, oh. But it was the human parts that were just, just, just bored me, just, just bored me to tears. I mean, it was the same thing over and over again. I mean, how many times do you think that stealth air- airplane was going to survive after it got hit so many times? I'm like, geez, it's like a, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a Marvel uh, stealth, stealth uh, airplane. Anyway, I mean, it was, I was pretty I was, much the helicarrier. <laughs> yeah, I was just, just bored. And the only, the only kind of redeeming uh, quality to the human side of it, I thought was Millie Bobby Brown, who plays uh, you know, a uh, young girl whose whose parents are the scientists who are figuring out how to, you know, yeah. restore balance to the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she, I thought she brought a lot of heart to it. I thought she did a really good job. You know, Vera Famiga, I love her, but I just think she was wasted in this. And Kyle Chandler plays her dad. He was, you know, he was uh, doing this a lot. And I mean, Brian Cranston, I mean, not Brian Cranston, although he was in uh, the other one. <laughs> yeah. And biggest. Was, I get them so mixed up. Bradley, uh, Bradley Whitford, Whitford and Brian Cranston. I used to always get them mixed well, up. Well, Bradley Whitford was trying to sell every line reading that he every was given. Every line reading, right? He was. And, and I love him in most of the stuff he's in, but here uh, that was one of my biggest issues with the humor. It's like it's not, again, I hate to repeat myself, but it's just not hitting. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say that I am, uh, you know, in- encouraged because it did it did con- continue the story. There's some things, like you said, Easter eggs and things that, that'll pop up that I'm sure people will go, oh, my God. So I'm actually encouraged for the next one, Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> yeah, which I'm, I would never have thought in my lifetime that I would be able to see King Kong Godzilla fight again, let alone <laughs> in a big-budget American movie on the theater. So, so, yay! It's, like, as much as I'm not in love with Godzilla King of the Monsters, I, it's it's an exciting time to be a Godzilla fan for Yeah, me. yeah. I, and I, I don't think Doherty is directing them, but he did write it. I he, saw he, that. So. I believe what Doherty did, he did, like, some sort of uncredited rewrites just to oh, keep continuity okay. between his movie and... Uh, 
Godzilla vs. Kong, because right. that one's being directed by Adam Wingard, uh, right. which... I mean, after after Death... Was it Death Note? I kept wanting to say Death oh, Wish. Oh, Death Note. The, mm-hmm. yeah, the, after, the, the Netflix thing, right? Yeah, after yeah. Death Note, I'm just like... Hmm. I mean, it, it could work because I really like the guest. Yeah. So um, it could go either way. Well, we'll hope. We'll hope. I, you know, I have, I have some hope. So that brings us to our movie pick. Our LA Online Film Critics Society movie pick of the week is Rugged Man. The, <laughs> the only movie that I did not see. <laughs> I know Alexander didn't get a chance to see this, but we're going to convince him to go see it immediately because I. Loved this. I mean, I think that I'll start. I think that um, uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody last year was was great. I I loved that too, and I think really you walk away from that one pumped because of that Live Aid concert. But the rest of the film, it's you know, it's pretty much paint by the numbers biopic. This, however, is not. I thought it was. It's done more like across the universe, where you've got Elton John's songs sort of infusing the the narrative to the film. And I, you know, I'm I'm huge Elton John fan, so I'm literally singing through the whole thing. And Taron uh, Edgerton from uh, Edgerton from um, Kingsman, he plays Elton. He is just phenomenal. I mean, I'm gonna. I, I kind of wish there was another girl here with me because um, I'm gonna swoon a little bit. The guy oh, just I will totally. Too. <laughs> completely made me like I mean I literally swooned when he's singing your song I was like so yes he is just phenomenal and he sings all of Elton's songs I guess Elton John was one of the producers of the film and he really worked hard with Taron and to getting his because singing Elton John is not easy Mm -hmm. because that guy has a lot of different octaves you know a lot of different range so I don't know I I absolutely adore this movie how about you Chris Um, I absolutely loved it as well (laughs) and I also cried during the your song part Um, it's so beautiful but I think what the movie gets really right is it doesn't want to be this straightforward biopic I was actually not quite a fan of Bohemian Rhapsody I feel like the only save the Live Aid parts and everything else you can completely scrap but I think uh, making this a jukebox musical almost in the style of Mamma Mia is more true to Elton John's songs and how they make people feel Mm -hmm. and why they are such cultural landmarks Um, I think Taron Egerton does is it Egerton is that how you say his last name I believe so or maybe I'm wrong we could be right I think I've heard it both ways okay I've heard Egerton or Edgerton Tomato, well, I mean, it's not quite that, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping and praying, Taryn, because I swoon for <laughs> you and your song that I'm getting it right. Um, but no, I thought he did such an amazing job. And I think, because um, I also think like this movie it moves at such a breakneck speed throughout his full life. And I think you get quite a lot of um, crazy, corny dialogue as you're speeding through all the tropes. But I, the tone and commitment to it and the way that they use all the songs really... Um, helps move that along. And I also think just in terms of the way his gayness informs his life and how the whole arc is built around him not feeling deserving of love because of his sexuality and having to work through that mm-hmm. was a really strong, really powerful way to tell that story while also honoring his queer identity. Yeah. What do you think, Alexander? Well, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but uh, I, I'm i with you, you in questions. the sense that... Yeah, I do have some questions. I'm with you in the sense that mm-hmm. I... 
did not like Bohemian Rhapsody. How it got nominated for five Oscars and won four of them is beyond me, especially for editing the thing it was criticized for. <laughs> right. Um, totally. But, I, mean, I think Star is Born was way better editing if you were going to talk about, you know, kind of the, the cut between the, the concerts and everything. I, I mean, Star is Born. Don't get us started. <laughs> Star is Born is fictional, and that was yeah. a better uh, music movie than Bohemian Rhapsody. But my question is, um, like, I guess. You guys talked about it a lot, but compared to Bohemian Rhapsody, like, does it feel like in terms of its editing, since that's the big thing we all criticize that movie for, <laughs> uh, is is it tighter? Is it like less wonky? Because one of my big issues with Bohemian Rhapsody is that they have moments where they kind of do origin stories for their songs and they just feel so similar. It's mm-hmm. like, here's the inspiration. Here's mm-hmm. them recording it. Here's the performance. And then they just kind of rinse and repeat does that happen in this movie? Are they better? How do they handle the songs? Um, it's it's much better. I will say one of the... Because con- essentially not all of the music or the songs happen as he's writing it. Or, you know, a lot of times he'll there will be him as a child singing a song that he wrote later in life. I don't know if they thread the needle so well in saying, like, this is when he wrote this or this is just how he was feeling at this one time and we're applying this song to this moment. So is it for is it more focused on uh, his life rather mm-hmm. than just yeah. the song? Okay, yeah. yeah so it yeah. really it, it is a biopic in, in in the classic terms is that it shows his life. You know, it starts off you know with with him in a cer- certain situation. Of course, we still don't mm-hmm. want to give it too much away, but um, he's in a certain situation and then he flashes back, and so then you get to see him as a child, and you know he had issues with his father who was not very. Uh, loving and and whatnot and he was a sensitive kid you know i thought some of the most amazing thing was and this is this is true actually most everything in the movie is factual as opposed Mm -hmm. to bohemian rhapsody which everyone kept saying that that was another thing i was gonna ask because uh (laughs) bohemian rhapsody just bugged me that um the end of the movie especially when they found out that um uh, Freddie Mercury was diagnosed it's like they like if anyone who knows the history of queen and Freddie mercury knows that he did not tell the rest of the band until after Live Aid. And even then, um, once he told them, the band never broke up. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I don't know. So it, it makes me happy to hear that this is a lot better. Well, it's because Elton was part of it. I mean, it's like he's not. He may True. have embellished parts of his mm-hmm. of what he felt he, you know, because some, so I guess, uh, his half-brothers who have come out and said that their father wasn't really like that, because his father had a whole second marriage and everything like that, mm-hmm. so um, but, according to Elton, that's how he felt, you know, and that's really where we're getting from, is, is his, you know, emotional reactions to things, but um, yeah, and Bryce Dallas Howard, I thought she was fantastic, she plays his mom and, uh, you know, I, I and then, of course, my other favorite uh, character was, was Bernie Toppin, who is, you know, mm-hmm. Elton's long time best friend and lyricist and whatnot played by jamie bell i mean it's just it was so fascinating to watch i'm which i'm sure is what happened between them i mean like bernie toppin was so amazing at writing songs he literally would take a half an hour to write a song you know or maybe a little longer than that but then he'd hand it off to elton and within an hour and a half elton had a song out of it i mean it's just that's how they work they were so i mean you, you think about how many songs they've written together I have a, I have a kind of. Do you mind if I tell this funny little story? Mm-hmm, sure. Okay, so I have two older sisters, and my middle sister got "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" for Christmas one one year, and I was about I don't know eight or something like that, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, 
Anyway, she was so excited about getting this album. And then you remember how albums used to be like these huge pictorial things with all the words, all the lyrics, you know, and you just see all the pictures and everything. And I, I loved looking through my sister's albums like that. <laughs> anyway, so she got it for Christmas. She's super excited. You know, it's after, it's after we've, we've opened all the presents. So I kind of sneak in and I kind of start looking at everything and I lift it up and I, the record falls out and breaks on the floor. Oh, oh no. And she was so mad. <laughs> Although she was trying not to be too mad at me because she knew it was an accident, but she was mad. And, and you know, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. My mom's like, it's okay. We'll get oh. another one. It's no big deal. But I just, I felt awful. Anyway, I have a very special relationship with Goodbye Albrick Road. So um, that, like I said, I literally sang through this whole movie. <laughs> okay. I had a, I'm, your sister sounds a lot nicer than me. I remember one time my brother <laughs> lost the greatest hits, Elton John, when we were both young, like the CD or whatnot, and was not having it. Was not was not as nice and compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing about this and is that I'm afraid that people won't you know respect it as much as because Bohemian Rhapsody did get such huge acclaim, and it's just only been since last year. What do you guys think? I mean, do you think Rocket Man should rise above that? I mean, I would hope. Um, I think what I hope doesn't hinder it, but I feel like could is um, there was still, because Queen was so around during the promotion of Bohemian Rhapsody, that this was a more serious quote-unquote movie about the band. And I think what makes Rocketman so special is that it takes artistic license to tell you more about the songs and the way that they make people feel. But I'm wondering if that makes it come across too fantasy. Um, I think that's fine with me. It's fine with me. I think it was the right choice. Um, I would be fine. I love the movie. I do think that there are faults if it doesn't rise to the highs of Bohemian Rhapsody in terms of a Best Picture nomination. But I really, really hope Taron Egerton gets to pull through to the Best Actor race because, especially if you are doing an apples to apples comparison with Rami, I think he just blows it out of the water, and not just because he sings. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. I mean, Rami was oh. it was brilliant too. Mm-hmm. I mean, but. But yeah. All right. Well, I've seen it tomorrow morning. So uh, <laughs> oh yay! <laughs> <Hooray>. <laughs> Convinced. So you'll I'm, be on your YouTube channel, then you'll uh, review yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, for those again, the YouTube channel is the real Mr. Robinson. I'll also do a review for Ma uh, once I, I guess, as soon as possible. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that brings us to biopics in general. They are troubled type of genre, I think. They, more often than not, don't usually hit all that well. But then there are those that really, really do stand out. And I think it's when they um, it's when they do take some chance. Well, either the subject is super, you know, either controversial or, you know, flamboyant or whatever the case may be, then that usually works as a movie. But if they are kind of maybe not so well known or whatever... Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard and you try to, you know, maybe infuse a little bit of, uh, of, of stylistic, you know, choices or whatever that a director might do. So I'm curious, what are some of your favorite biopics? Well, I, I actually spent uh, a lot of time thinking about this particular topic. Uh, I picked two and they're both from this decade. Um, goes to show you how knowledgeable I am when it comes to (laughs) recounting the biopics I've seen, but I'm going with The Social Network and The Disaster Artist. Uh, Okay. Like, I picked The Social Network first because it's such, like, it's such an important landmark film in terms of it's covering the creation of this thing that we use on a daily basis and just the troubles that it went through, like, the legal issues, how much, um, 
Mark Zuckerberg. I almost said Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, same, same person, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> just how he kind of screwed everyone over to like get this thing made, and that there's. It, it's really fascinating, and the fact that it's a very different movie from what David Fincher usually does, because you usually identify with him with Seven, Gone Girl, Panic Girl Room. Dragon 2, Panic Room. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for him to do a biopic like this that's not as dark as some of his other stuff is impressive. Right. And um, I mean, Jesse Eisenberg's phenomenal. Uh, Army Hammer for being able to play both Winklevoss twins. I mean, that's so, before before he was even well known enough, right? And so <laughs> I, a lot of people thought, was that who were those twin guys? I've never seen them before. You remember? I mean, there were a lot of people thought that he was actually had twins. Yeah, and to find out that he was just playing both of them, you couldn't even tell. <laughs> Oh, it was pretty cool. And then, and then the disaster artist, huh? The, yeah, the disaster artist is uh That's awesome. It's special for me because I'm I, I love the room. Mm-hmm. Like I've never seen it. It's is it pretty oh, yeah. spectacular. <laughs> but, but go to one of the events. Yeah. Okay, it, okay. Like if you go to one of the midnight screenings for the room, then it's worth it. If you watch it by yourself, you will really it's struggling to watch by yourself. It's almost depressing to watch by yourself. But the disaster artist, um, much like how I talked about with uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, how Michael Doherty loves the Godzilla series, you can tell James Franco has a love for um, Tommy Wiseau and how the room even got made. And it could have easily come across as like a parody or making fun of Tommy Wiseau. Or, like, look how bad this guy is. Like, no. It manages to respect him because he's he's pretty much uh, like Ed Wood. He's just a guy who wanted to make it big, and maybe he didn't get famous in the way he wanted to, similar to how Ed Wood um, got famous through um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. But he still got famous. People still talk about him. People still go to see Midnight Screenings of the Room. So, And it's just so funny and clever. In its script and the performances, um, one of my favorite moments is when um, I forget who the actual guy's name, but Seth Rogen. Oh right, the director. Was, yeah, yeah, the assi- the assistant director. Right. He goes to cash in his check, like thinking it's gonna bounce, uh, and <laughs> like he finds out that Tommy Wiseau so has this endless amount of money from some weird place. Some weird like, it's thing. like it's like even today, nobody knows exactly where it's from, but. Um, yeah, I just I love the disaster artist. It was it was one of my top three of uh, 2017. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? I mean, I have to agree with both of those choices. <laughs> yeah, those um, are good ones. Those are great. But you talked a lot about how it's great how much um, James Franco loves Tommy Wiseau and that made it a great biopic. And I have to say, what's love got to do with it? Oh, uh, my pick yeah. for the best, especially best music biopic. Um, so the story of Ike and Tina Turner played. So amazingly by Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett, who I think might have like the greatest um, performance of a musical artist. Um, She did a great job. It's such a searing portrayal of just how someone can rise to fame and rise in such a way intrinsically linked to this person, but how this rise also contributes to the detriment of your own personal life and the sacrifices you have to make. Um, And one of the most chilling segments I found was when... uh, Angela Bassett's Tina Turner um, kind of escapes for a momentary reprieve and is trying to get into a motel. um, It's it's such great work. And I think it's also just the trick with biopics is 
so many times people think it needs to encompass someone's whole right. entire life and the scope of everything that they did. But when you really find your narrative prism and find a compelling way to tell that, yeah. then um, that's when you can really sing. And uh, this, um, and it's just so interesting in the moment that we're talking about now with you know abuse, especially like in the role of artists. Uh, this movie was doing it long before in 1993, yeah. and it's it's a really interesting one to revisit. Yeah, I love that one too. And I think, like I was saying, when when a biopic is about something that's you know impactful, like like her life you know because she did she was you know horribly abused and and Mm -hmm. it was just watching those scenes and watching those moments really made that movie and then seeing her just go on stage and just like freaking nail it you know i mean after being slapped around it was she was yeah angela bassett i think she got nominated for that didn't she i think she she did. did yeah yeah, she was she was pretty amazing in that. But 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 back to my point. So I like like I was saying, I like stylistic things. So I actually have two that are very stylistic. My first one's a beautiful mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a story that we didn't know much about this guy, right? And that, but but the but the whole um, you know the premise that he was uh, you know bipolar, or schizophrenic, whatever it was that he the issues that he had. It, it's the it's the beautiful mind. It's the artists who have these issues and they they take the medications, but it makes them not be able to use their you know brilliant abilities. So what's to say about a, a person's mind who you know who might not work the same way we think we work, right? It's not normal. They're tapping into something else, and yet they have to take these medications to be normal and to, you know, and to function society. I just thought, I thought Russell Crowe did an amazing job with that. But how it was stylistic, like you didn't know what he was seeing and what it was, he was experiencing mm-hmm. was actually real or not until then you realize, oh, no, it's not real. <laughs> yeah. And you know? It's, it's just, a terrific reveal, too, especially in the way Jennifer Connelly plays it and how you yeah. see how it factors into this home life. Yeah. And she was brilliant, too. And, of course, well, well-deserved Academy Award for her for that performance. But, yeah, and Ron Howard, you know, he's one of those directors that can take that kind of that kind of subject matter and turn it into something really, you know, really good. He's he's I always feel like he's like the everyman uh, director because he can really just do just about anything, you yeah. know, and he doesn't have yeah. all those little flares and all his little auteur things, you know, like a Wes Anderson or something, which are great, too. But he just goes, I'm going to tell the story and this is how I'm going to do it, you know, and he, he usually does a really good job. So his filmography is very diverse. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. totally diverse. But yeah, that's that's my my first one. My second one is Vice. Mm. I loved Vice last year. I know it was yeah. kind of a divided movie, but I adored it. You know, Adam McKay, again, he's a director, a writer-director who's very passionate about the things that he's talking about, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So between the big short and then, and then you know, focusing in on Cheney, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're horrified because this really happened and this man really was who he was or is or whatever. Um, but then you're laughing your ass <laughs> I think the whole part in the middle where the credits start going up, oh, and he lived a happy life with his wife, and everyone was happy, and this is the end of the it's movie. Like, oh, You're if like, only. yeah, that chance. <laughs> yeah, if only it ended there. If only. <laughs> and then, of course, Christian Bale, who is, you know, uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I think he should have, for me, I think he should have gotten the Oscar over yeah. Rami Malek. I, I kind of picked him in a couple of Oscar pulls that I had. <laughs> Ones that didn't matter. I was like, okay, for the money I'll pick Rami, but <laughs> in my heart, I really want Christian Bale. Yeah, so 
I, I did, and it's funny because my husband is, uh, you know, he's kind of a political animal. And he, we laughed, and we watched this movie, and he loved it. But at the end of it, he was so mad, like all over again, mm-hmm. like it had just happened. I'm going, honey, it's it's done. He goes, I just can't. Da, 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 da. And he was like pacing around and stomping his feet. It's just, you know, of course, it's not quite as bad as what we got right now. But anyway, it's mm-hmm. uh, sort of a precursor to that. But those are my two two favorites of biopics but there's so many i mean i was like looking through the list of all the biopics <laughs> oh yeah that one oh yeah that one ray is another one i was thinking of too mm-hmm. that was a that's a good one for a musical biopic but yeah yeah and there's just so many different techniques to approach someone's life it like there's almost like five different genres between our picks yeah it's true <laughs> we all pick different ones too i loved it but then also talking about godzilla we've got <laughs> some favorite Monster movies. Now, what do you consider a monster movie? That's I'm curious to see what you guys pick because I, you know, uh, I actually would like to go last on this. Okay, <laughs> I'll go first. Perfect. All right, so I'm thinking. Okay, uh, what, what's what's because I actually really liked Peter Jackson's King Kong. That's one of my. I, I wow. love that one, but I actually went. I went. Okay, well, there's other monster movies, so I had to pick one of my most favorite movies of all time is Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that counts. It does count, yeah. right? Okay, and Jaws was my other one. I think well, one monster in Jaws, but Jurassic Park was a better pick because of the uh, the fighting dinosaurs and stuff. Like, Again, I have I have all these little funny stories. My daughter loves Jurassic Park, and she was two when she watched it for the first time. Oh my god! <laughs> and loved wow. it. <laughs> loved it. I mean, we would we would get to the uh, people talking, and she'd go, fast forward to the dinosaurs! So I'd have to fast forward to the dinosaurs, and she'd watch that all over again. She had all kinds of dinosaur adventures in her room, but yeah, that I think, not only did it, was it a great monster movie, but really Steven Spielberg, who's you know one of my all-time favorite directors, he ushered in um, a kind of filmmaking that we hadn't really seen up to that point, which was the whole CG looks like there's a real dinosaur standing in front yeah. of you. I mean, I just mm-hmm. remember how wowed everybody was with the with the technology behind what he did with that. Um, of course, it's gone leaps and bounds since then, but still, it mm-hmm. was it was one of the first of the of that kind that was just really completely floored people. So. That's definitely, uh, and then of course Jaws. <laughs> if any yeah, of you know me, and a, some of you do out there, uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I will literally watch it every time it's on TV. <laughs> same, same here. Every yes. time Jaws pops up, it's like I have to leave the room right now because if I sit down to watch it, I am not going to leave. <laughs> I know. And again, the thing about Jaws is, is you know, it is it is a class, it is a monster movie because the, the shark is the monster. But the fact that the shark didn't work <laughs> half of the time, yeah. I don't know if, if it, I mean, I have read a lot about it, but it, it, it intentionally made the movie so much better just because they had to rely on, on the relationships between these three guys, you know, mm-hmm. out on the, out on the water like that. And, and, um, you know, it's just, it just worked. It just worked as, as a, as a buddy, <laughs> like a, not comedy, but a buddy, uh, a monster. It was pretty movie. much a man on a mission movie. Yeah, man on a mission mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, it's funny. We were I was just watching it the other day, and the music. You know, the score is such a, an iconic part of the movie, right? So yeah. it's so yeah. foreboding, and all you had to do was play that music, and you're like, oh. But then there, there are times when they're on the water and they're chasing the the they're chasing the shark, and there's like like kind of that lighthearted, you know. And at one point, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character says, "Fast fish," you know, and they're <laughs> and, and Steve, like my husband, was like, "Well, why how is the music change like that?" It's because it's you know it's like an adventure. There, I think I think Spielberg wanted to say, you know, yeah, they're they're about 
ready to get their asses kicked. But mm-hmm. here's this kind of fun thing that they're, you know, this sort of exuberance that they were feeling chasing this fish. So those are my two monster movies. How about you, Chris? Wonderful. <laughs> well, I also kind of struggled with, you know, where do you draw the line on a monster movie, especially like as we talked about Godzilla, a very classic monster destroys how many different metropolises in the world. So on that, not quite a metropolis, but I went um, the 30s monster movie route with Universal and talk, would love to talk about Frankenstein, which oh, is my favorite that's of a those. Good one. It's a great one. Uh, it's um, not only about, you know, someone engineering this monster that then takes hold, but I think what's so powerful about that is how just in the short span of life that the Frankenstein's monster has, um, how you're able to see how he's misunderstood, how he's driven away uh, back to his windmill where, um, spoiler alert, he meets his unfortunate death, <laughs> um, almost 80-year spoiler. But uh, but no, I think it's just like, it's a tragic tale of a monster and how... Um, you know, these creatures that you don't understand could be welcomed into your society, but the minute just, like, they step out of line, everything crumbles against them. Yeah. uh, That's heartbreaking. But in terms of uh, my other kind of favorite subset, uh, instead of wreaking havoc on a town, wreaking havoc on just, you know, one group of people in one house, I love that John Carpenter's The The Thing. thing. I was just going to say, you were going to say that. (laughs) Uh, I mean... One of the most intense films ever made, and just in the sense that the monster is within everyone and you don't know who it is or um, when they'll pop their heads out to eat you. So Uh, the humans are really the monsters. That's the whole key to this movie, Exactly, yes. Yeah, I saw The Thing for the first time uh, two years ago on Blu-ray, and I was so... Nervous, like I, it, I was nervous. I was um, stressed watching the entire movie, and uh, yeah, it's just it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, like for our first viewing, it's wow. just like two years ago. Uh, well, no, but I remember in college watching it, and I screamed so much, like five different times during the um, blood test scene. It's just. Yeah. Will someone get me off this boat? <laughs> okay, oh. right. Okay, Alexander. All right, for me. Um, I'm going to go back to Japan because um, I, I talked about Godzilla and we talked about King of the Monsters, how it has issues where it's basically just the monster action. If you out there, like you in the panel, you out there watching, want a Godzilla movie that's that has substance and is actually compelling, watch Shin Godzilla from 2016. Oh. That was the mm. first uh, Japanese-made Godzilla movie since 2004. And what it is, it's actually a political satire. It it pokes, it pokes uses Godzilla to poke fun at the, the earthquakes, tsunamis, and the Fukushima meltdown from 2011 and how slow the Japanese government is at responding to these events. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, a lot of the movie is focused around the politics of Japan, and uh, it's... It's actually very fascinating. It has some really good dialogue and just the inner workings on how Japan's government works, but mm-hmm. told through a monster movie. And the monster scenes themselves, like Godzilla's never looked more terrifying than he does in this movie. Uh, they, they do CGI with him this time around, not Suitmation, which is man in a suit for those out there who don't know. And the CGI is definitely second rate compared to what we have, but uh, the way it's shot... Uh, and the way the it's lit is just phenomenal, and has some of my f- absolute favorite moments in the entire franchise. Um, oh, cool. And and it's That's one, of the, awesome. and it was a Godzilla movie that got um, a limited release here in the United States, and 
critics who actually saw it gave it positive reviews. More more so than the uh, Gareth Edwards one from 2014. Uh, Interesting. So, like, if you've It's no- subtitled, I, I, I take it. It is. So, <laughs> uh, there are some moments we have American actors in there or Japanese actors speaking English. And if there's any problem with the movie, it's that... Um, they they don't deliver their lines very well. Uh, uh, like it just sounds very bad. But the rest of the movie is great. Okay. And all then right. um, I'll just throw another one out there. Um, <laughs> Do it. More simple. Uh, I'm going to throw in the '90s Gamera trilogy from 1995 oh. to 1999. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know what Gamera is, basically I he's ba- okay. So. Back in Japan during the 50s and 60s, every studio wanted to try to replicate uh, Godzilla because Toho had created Godzilla in 1954 and everyone's tried to copy it. Mm -hmm. The closest anyone ever got to, like, as the second best thing was Gamera, which is pretty much this flying, fire-breathing turtle. Uh, (laughs) It's bizarre, trust me. And a lot of the earlier movies are just so... So weird. But the 90s... But there were three Gamera movies made in the 90s and... They are the closest they ever get to rivaling Godzilla. Like they, they're taken more seriously. They have good performances. Uh, the monster suits and action scenes are great. Uh, the first Gamera movie was actually some a movie that Roger Ebert liked when it came out. Uh, for uh, like m- more for a campy quality, but he still liked it a lot. Right. And it actually shares the same plot as the Gareth Edwards Godzilla. Gotcha. So uh, it's one of the things where it's like. You watch the two movies back to back, you could tell Gareth Edwards was a fan of this movie. And then uh, the second one is often regarded, the second and third one are often regarded as the best ones because that's when the special effects get better. And the third one as a very compelling human story because it focuses on a girl whose parents were killed by Gamera in one of the earlier movies. So basically, she befriends a monster to. Like Frankenstein. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, well, well, except this monster doesn't throw her in a pond yeah, and she drowns. But <laughs> right, she basically true. uses this monster to try to get revenge on Gamera. And it's a, it's very compelling to watch. It's often regarded as um, one of the best monster movies to come out of Japan. And if you guys want the actual titles for each movie... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is how nerdy I can get with these things. <laughs> um, it's Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, which is the first one. Second one was Gamera 2, Attack of Legion, or The Advent of Legion. It has a couple of different titles. And then the third one is Gamera 3, The Revenge of Iris. Okay. And those, again, those two are four monster movies. They're great. And um, they rival the, some of the best of the Godzilla series. And the director of those three movies uh, is a guy named Shutsuke Kaneko. He eventually went on to direct one of the best Godzilla movies in the franchise um, by the name of Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah, which I also recommend because <laughs> it has such a... like. It sounds weird. He's our but, resident Godzilla um, expert here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if, you, if you go to my YouTube channel, you will have Godzilla videos galore on there. But that that movie is another one I recommend simply because it has an interesting way of portraying Godzilla to where there's some substance to right. it. Uh, and mm-hmm. it has some great monster action as well. And those are my picks. Oh, wow, Wonderful. good. They're very interesting picks. I love it. Well, guys, thank you. We had such a great conversation today. I mean, I, like I said, there's some good movies out right now, actually, overall. Book Smart, we'll just give another 
shout yeah, out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> go see Booksmart. <laughs> go see Booksmart, and then you can go see Godzilla or Rocket Man. But see Booksmart as well. It's just it's phenomenal. Yes, don't sleep on Booksmart, guys. It is one of the <laughs> best coming of age movies of the decade. It really mm-hmm. it, one of the funniest teen movies of all time that I've ever seen. So anyway, definitely go see Booksmart. Um, but let's again tell us who you are and how to find you and and whatnot and the Twitter stuffs and everything. Go ahead. Oh, great. So uh, Christopher James once again with Award Circuit, and you can follow me on Twitter at CWJ92MovieMan. I knew you wanted to hear that again. Again. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, YouTube.com forward slash The Real Mr. Robinson. I'm on Twitter at Real Mr. Underscore Robinson, and I'm also on Instagram at The Real Mr. Robinson and Stardust at Real Mr. Robinson. <laughs> Stardust? What's that? Okay. So uh, Stardust. I'm old. Should I should I just say it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Stardust is a uh, it's an app where you can do quick thirty second reactions to movies or TV shows. It actually spawned. Uh, it actually started up two years ago, and uh, it's a nice way to get your quick thoughts on something as soon as you see it. Uh, uh, it's it's fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. I've never heard of that before. And I'm Kit Bowen. You can follow me at the Movie Kit. And of course, you'll be uh, hearing. You know, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll you'll get a chance to see if some of our other colleagues that we have in our group that we spotlight. Uh, and next week, we got a pretty good show as well. Actually, we've got um, uh, actually two big movies coming out: Dark Phoenix. I don't know. I'm a little <laughs> nervous. It'll be it'll be interesting because <laughs> I I have some preconceived feelings about that movie, uh, but I, I've been surprised before, so you That's never true. know. I do love X Men movies. I have to say that you know I'm just going to mm-hmm. qualify that I do like them. So, but the last one wasn't so great, so I'm a little nervous about this one. Uh, also, The Secret Life of Pets Two, which I hear is actually pretty good from some of the people I know have seen it already, and then also uh, Late Night, which was a big hit at the South by Southwest. I think, or whether I'm wrong uh, about that, Sundance, I believe. Sundance. I don't, I don't... It didn't seem like a. I I, I don't know. <laughs> it's one but of those it, does, it doesn't seem like a movie that would be at Sundance. So. <laughs> it's one of those movies. Anyway, Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, Mindy Kaling wrote it. Um, it looks really, really, really funny. And then also the last black man in San Francisco, which is, uh, I guess, a, a drama. I'm not quite sure. I'm not too familiar with that one, but. Uh, those are all coming out next week and we'll have another show next week with some new people to talk about those but join us again next week and again thank you Chris and Alexander I had a great time this is Kit we're signing off see you guys soon thanks guys thanks everyone (laughs) from producers Maria Menounos Kevin Undergaro and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.